group of young heroes called the Animorphs. Hello and welcome to Middlemorph Millennials, the podcast that I started to force my friends to read Animorphs and yell at them about alternative future timelines where we become evil girl bosses. I am Morgan. And my name is Kate. And I am Groot. (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise known as Jason. (laughs) The girliest bossiest. (laughs) (laughs) And welcome to part two of book seven, The Stranger, uh, where we last left off, the gang had escaped the Yurk pool after hearing the Elemis proposal of making a human zoo. Um, They voted no, and then... They escaped out a drop shaft after Rachel went a little crazy as a bear and tried to eat Jake. Yeah, tiger gone numb. <laughs> Don't eat tigers. <laughs> okay, and so let's jump back into this. Now, they had successfully exited the Yorkpool Cavern. The drop shaft exited beneath the base of the water tower behind their school. Rachel and Axe demorphed and they were exhausted from switching between morphs so quickly. They're kind of staggering. And the group disbanded quickly in case Yerks were watching and Rachel made it home, but she instantly fell asleep uh, in her room. And she slept in till the next day. And her sister Jordan, uh, when she kind of woke up and staggered to the bathroom, was using their bathroom. So she um, moved over and to use her mom's shower and her mom is like checking in with Rachel. She says, I know your dad has unloaded a large decision on you to move away with him. And Rachel at this point, honestly couldn't comprehend or focus on that issue. And her mom at that point had to run to work for her court case. So she's like promising Rachel that they should talk more when she gets home. See, Naomi knows that was shitty. Naomi is like, I'm sorry your dad did that. It sucks. Yeah. It <laughs> conveniently lines up with <laughs> she's divorced him and she's like, yeah, he shouldn't. No, good, good mom checking in like, hey, this isn't right that this got put on you. And also, hey, you just came home and fell asleep in your clothes. Like, are you okay? Are you on drugs? (laughs) Like, she doesn't say, are you on drugs? But she's like, do we need to have a chat about possibly you being on drugs? I mean, she is more observant than Jake's mom. So (laughs) Jake, you know, appearing from behind the fridge with a a roach motel on his head. (laughs) She going, okay. (laughs) Jake definitely takes after his mom and Rachel takes after Naomi. Um, Which, by the way... um, uh, their their dads are brothers. What? Okay, so that's how they're related. Oh, yeah, because they're I cousins. I forgot their cousins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's so they're Jewish on their dad's side, which means that they're not like really that Jewish. Yeah. I don't I don't know if they mentioned that before. Oh. They did not Whatever. mention Judy. No. <laughs> okay. Good to know. Wait, a minute. is there a Christmas animorphs thing that's gonna come up at some point? <laughs> Or holidays. <laughs> no, you know, the only holiday is in the next book that we're going to read, and it's summer oh, break. Oh, <laughs> I, was, I was really hoping you're going to finish that with Evil Easter Bunny or something like that, like the Yerk took over, like something <laughs> at a kid's party. Okay, so Rachel's sisters, Jordan and Sarah, get off to school, but Rachel stays home trying to process all that's happened. The Elemist seeing Tobias as human. We haven't forgot that. She was very happy to see him back in his human form. Her bear rampage... And uh, her dad, obviously, the choice to save at least some part of humanity. So, yeah, this is a way better story arc for her compared to book two. I know we mentioned that here in the the last podcast, but still very, very good in terms of her motivations and her drive is just so much stronger. And you get a lot more sense for this character so far for this book. 
So Rachel can't make a decision. She has to get out of the house. So she went up to her, so she goes up to her bedroom and flies out as a bald eagle. And it switches scenes. The Animorphs all meet in Cassie's barn later that afternoon. And Axe doesn't come to these meetings at the barn since it would require him to be human in Morph. So he prefers to stay in his natural state as much as possible. The kids remark how they didn't see Rachel at school that day. And they kind of start in on her reckless behavior lately, acquiring the bear morph without backup, flying around the whole afternoon in eagle morph. They also conveniently leave out the stuff about, you know, elephant savior and uh, kind of being a little bit fast and loose with uh, thought speak at the circus. But Jake argues with Rachel and says that if she's like does something stupid and messes up, they will all pay the price for it. Rachel retaliates back and says it really doesn't matter anymore. There are no consequences because the Elemis said that they're all doomed to fail anyway. And suddenly Jake just sags. I don't know, Rachel. I don't have any answers. I'm sick of trying to have answers. You decide. I don't want to argue with you. I don't know what your problem is, but you know what? You deal with it. That also seemed very teenagery. Yeah, it's like, I don't want to, I am not qualified to deal with your problems because I am also a teenager. So maybe like figure something out on your own. Yeah. So Rachel says, I've never seen Jake look so tired. One minute he was being strong, sensible Jake, leader of Animorphs. And the next minute he looked exhausted. His eyes were red. He was blinking constantly. He looked like he was worn out from just breathing. Rachel admits to them that her dad wants her to move out of state with him and all of this pent-up emotion just explodes out it's like what am i supposed to do rachel yells after what happened last night after all that i have to decide who i want to hurt my mom or my dad or and you guys and come on rachel marco says kindly take it easy you're 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 xena no no i'm not some stupid tv character i'm not Some comic book, Marco. I'm scared, okay? It's just like the rest of you. I'm scared of what's almost happened to me last night. I'm scared of just knowing that the place down there exists. I'm scared about what happens to me. I just want to run away, but I don't think I could. So I was brave because that's the way I'm supposed to be. But now everyone is going, oh, just come live with me and we'll go to ball games and hey, forget moving to another state. We have a whole other planet for you. And the more exits I see, the more scared I get. All right. Marco then quietly says he's now going to change his vote for going with the Elemist. And Jake demands, what? Why? And Marco shrugs. Rachel's losing it. As she loses it, how long do you think the rest of you are going to last? Marco's reasons that they keep getting beat. And now they have learned that they will never win this war. So essentially, let's cut our losses at this point. Cassie reasons to Jake that the Elemist, again, is like someone trying to save the human race from being caught in a trap like she does when she and her family are helping the injured and wild animals that they work with. The vote was now two against two. So you got now Marco and Cassie voting yes uh, for the Elemist's plan versus Tobis, uh, Tobias and Jane. Jake, uh, Rachel was the deciding vote. And Max says he's not going to vote because he's not a human and it's not a human issue. And I also wanted to note that Marco was like, listen, if the Elemist can get, like, fine, I'm going to let him get my leg out of the trap, but I have some conditions first. There are some people going with me, but if the Elemist can save those people along with me, then I have to say yes. And again, as, as the reader who read the previous two books, we know that that's his mom 
and of course, like, getting rid of Vizzer 1 would really strike a blow to the Yerks. Like, his mom is Vizzer 1, so if if the Elmist can actually get his mom to go with them to the zoo planet, then that would be a interesting power vacuum to leave behind. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, what happens to the Yerk? I mean, does the Elmist just put the Yerk into somebody, some other host, or just like, bye, yeet? Yeah, like, you're coming actually with the human host, and you're just going to starve to death here. Like, we don't know. Yeah, yeah, true. That would be a nice horror movie. Oh, we already had the Jake horror movie last book. (laughs) Yeah. Then the Elemis spoke to them again. He said, I promised I would ask you again. I will show you what you need to understand. And they were instantly not in the barn, but an overgrown field with axe at their side. A building was tumbled down nearby in ruins. And Tobias was human again, and he was standing right next to them. Rachel was so happy, and the rest of them ultimately were perplexed on where they were. The landscape was dusty, dead, empty, full of destroyed buildings, but Tobias recognized it first. They were at their school. Cassie understood it. They were in the future. The sky was yellow, the trees were dying. Axe sensed that they were in a time distortion of some kind, but the Elemist was nowhere in sight. Jake suggests that they should walk to the mall since they need to figure out why the Elemis brought them there to begin with. There were blast holes in the destroyed school building that they passed. Rachel and Marco found a destroyed classroom with a skeleton inside, probably one of their teachers. They're not sure if this is exactly the future or some sort of lesson from the Elemist on what can happen when the Yerks take over. Marco... By the way, so, like, we do have a... Like, Marco has a reference here, Back to the Future to style where he suggests that they go get a world almanac at the mall and learn who won all the Super Bowls (laughs) so they can go back to their own time and make winning bets and make a fortune. So ever the opportunist. There's also a cute exchange where axes, they see like a tube, but it's horizontal, like the drop shaft except Mm -hmm. horizontal. And axes like, it's a conveyance of some kind. It seems to be a glass tube that goes on for many of your miles, uh, many miles. They're going perhaps 300 or more of your miles per hour. And Marco says, they're everyone's miles. You're on Earth, Axe. We all have the same miles. And Axe goes, what about nations that use kilometers? See, I'm I did learning. like that one. <laughs> it was very cute. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to continue reading the book series Shipping Axe and Marco <laughs> since they're the two that aren't coupled up. They are very cute. The mall uh, was still standing and uh, they actually, you know, uh, call out to Sears and Pennies. And I think Morgan you said you there's uh, an update for Pennies being JC Pennies in your book. Yeah, that's that's like one of the only things Marco calls Horkbjerg salad shooters again. And the brand name salad shooters is like a compound word. So they changed that in the update. And that's like pretty much it. They changed the spelling of Dr. Doolittle, that kind of thing. Not a lot of not a lot of pop culture references in this mm-hmm. one. The mall uh, had holes uh, in its sides and they've been carved in. These holes have been carved into the side of the building. And taxons are crawling out of these holes, lining up uh, in like kind of ant lines down to the parking lot to unload a spaceship and then bring back uh, boxes into the the holes in the side of the building. Essentially, the mall had been turned into a taxon hive. And that's the end of my section. But we could talk maybe a little bit about grizzly bears before we finish this up, if you guys are interested. Bear facts. Bear, bear facts. facts. These are the bear facts. Bear minimum. Uh, <laughs> I had my bear fact. They are 
Are they hibernating? Uh. <laughs> okay, so grizzly bears. The grizzly bear is also known as the North American brown bear or simply as a grizzly, uh, but it is a subspecies of a brown bear that inhabited North America. And brown bears are obviously uh, found in uh, different continents worldwide. There are two living populations of grizzlies, the Kodiak bear and the peninsular grizzly. And then there's extinct. Oh, I didn't know the Kodiak bear was also yeah. a grizzly. Well, there's extinct grizzly too. California grizzly, obviously, it's on the California flag. Mexican grizzly uh, and the Yugava Labrador grizzly. On average, grizzly bears near the coast tend to be larger, while the inland grizzlies tend to be smaller. More fish on the coast. Good fatty fish, man. <laughs> the, those good fats, you know, those omega... Blah, blah, um, it's omega-3 fatty acids, yes. <laughs> the Usuri brown bear inhabits Russia, northern China, Japan, and Korea, um, and it's sometimes referred to as the black grizzly, but it's not no more closely related to the North American brown bears than other subspecies of brown bears around the world. And these type of bears originated in Eurasia and traveled to North America approximately 50,000 years ago and spread into what is now the United States about 13,000 years ago. So let's get into some how big bears can get facts. Uh, Most adult female grizzlies, they can weigh between 290 and 400 pounds. And in this book, obviously, where Rachel mentioned that she was an 800-pound male grizzly. So adult males can weigh between 400 to 800 pounds. So he's just a big old boy. Big old boy. And uh, they can be in, in total length, uh, like 6.5 feet. They they stand tall. So a way to tell a grizzly from a brown uh, bear or black bear, there's several different characteristics, but one of which is a pronounced muscular hump that appears on adult grizzly shoulders. Black bears don't have that hump. And in North America, grizzly bears previously ranged from Alaska down to Mexico and as far east as the Hudson Bay. But the species now found in Alaska uh, goes south through much of Western Canada and into portions of the United States. So Washington, Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, and extending as far south as Yellowstone uh, and Grand Tetons National Parks. I should have consulted you before getting my tattoo because my my bear doesn't have the hump. And I was like, don't all grizzlies have that? But it, it looks more like a polar bear in profile. Uh, when did you get the tattoo? Like last month. <laughs> okay, we'll share a picture. <laughs> News. I'll put it in okay. the chat. Well, okay, so I got I got two Animorphs tattoos at the same time. And I can show you one, but I can't show you the other one because it's a spoiler. <laughs> So, so I have to wait until literally the whole thing is over. Morgan, so when I'm visiting you next week, are you going to be like clothing yourself oh, in strategic no. areas? Oh, no. <laughs> you didn't think this through, young one. Oh, shit. <laughs> wait for an update next week. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, yeah, I'm just going to have to wear like three wrist warmers <laughs> to cover up my forearm at all times. Oh my gosh. Because I'm not wearing long sleeves. It is a billion degrees. Just right duct now. tape. Just duct tape over it. <laughs> there you yeah, go. Yeah, there we go. Or KT. I have KT tape. I could put KT tape over it. That would last a weekend. Yeah, or order some of those cool, you know, arm sleeves that you see people in like Japan wear on bikes. I have a pair of those arm sleeves for when I cycle so I can bring one. <laughs> 
<laughs> down to you could just be that person with one arm sleeve on. <laughs> I'll be that guy. 90s. <laughs> so uh, in terms of population as of now, there is obviously the most amount of grizzly bears in the world are, are centered in Alaska. There's 30,000 bears, uh, and that's the highest population of every province or state in North America. The last known grizzlies in California were killed in the Sierra foothills east of Fresno in the early 1920s. And the grizzly bear currently has legal protection in Mexico, European countries, in some areas of Canada, and in all the United States. However, it is expected that repopulating its former range will be slow due to various reasons, but it includes this bear's slow reproductive uh, habits and the effects of reintroducing such a large animal to areas that are now used essentially for mainly agriculture and livestock. Grizzlies are normally solitary and active animals, but in the coastal areas, uh, you see grizzlies gathered around streams, lakes, and rivers uh, during the salmon spawning seasons. And grizzly bears, as mentioned, have one of the lowest reproductive rates, uh, actually, of all terrestrial mammals in North America. They don't reach sexual maturity until they're five years old, and once they mated, uh, once females mated uh, in the summer with a male, uh, she actually can delay embryo implantation until hibernation. So during yeah, so during which uh, she can miscarry like purposefully if the female does not receive. Uh, the proper nutrients and caloric intake to be able to sustain a pregnancy. Actually, I don't know if it's purposefully, but it's definitely biologically a mechanism to say, like, yeah, she didn't get enough food to support uh, a pregnancy during hibernation, so we'll miscarry on that account. Well, nobody's picketing these grizzly bears. <laughs> Hell no. You, uh, you want to try that? I mean, I would not want to go up against no, a female I'm grizzly. Just saying, I'm just saying. <laughs> People are people are being upset about human lives matter about these bear lives. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> this I I like this. I like that's a great function to be able to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that is all power, power to, them. to them. On average, female grizzlies produce two cubs in a litter, and the mother cares for the cubs for two years, up to two years, and during which that time the mom will not mate. So this is again showing like the slow reproductive cycle of a grizzly. I was going to say another concerning thing is that the grizzlies are mating with polar bears. No, not at missed it. Yeah, because polar bears are being forced further and further south because of global warming. Mm-hmm. Uh, so polar bears and grizzly bears are making growlers, which is a silly name for a very scary thing. So it's like a hybrid. It's like a white and brown bear. And so they're making like... Yeah, hybrid grizzly. Both of which polar bears. Those bears, I wouldn't want to mess with. Uh, (laughs) They 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 both have, um, especially polar bears. From my understanding, they they can uh, have some uh, temperaments on them. Did you know? Fun fact about polar bears: their livers are so high in vitamin A that you, if you eat it, you get vitamin A poisoning. Yes, I knew that. I did know that. Yeah, no, don't eat, don't eat, don't eat polar bear. And also. I would like to recommend the documentary Grizzly Man. It's by Werner Herzog, and it's about this guy who's like a hippy-dippy dude who goes and lives among the grizzlies. I would like to give you three guesses as to how the documentary ends. I think you've mentioned it before, so... uh... (laughs) (laughs) He gets eaten by the grizzly bears. 
as we all expected by this man living with grizzly bears. So yeah, it's super interesting though, just like the denial that he was in about like, these are my pets. Like, these are my friends. I'm one of them. It's like, no, that's no, no, don't do that. With all the fear, obviously, around, you know, don't mess with a bear. They are gorgeous animals. It's just animals need to be respected (laughs) and given their space and territory and to let beautiful creatures like this live, but not with major, you know, uh, human interference. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. The average lifespan of uh, a male grizzly is 22 years, but the female lives longer at 26 on average because they don't get into a lot of fights like the males do during breeding season. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, I mean, females do fight, but they are fighting other males that are trying to take out their cubs and you do not want to mess with that mama bear. That's literally a a phrase for Mm -hmm. a reason. The oldest wild inland grizzly uh, was recorded at 34 years old in Alaska. The oldest coastal grizzly was recorded uh, at 39 and it's true though, but most grizzlies do die in the first year of their life though. Darwinism's harsh. Captive grizzlies yeah. though can live as long as 44 years. And grizzlies are normally omnivores, so their diet consists both of plants and animals. And really, like, plants make up a large portion of their diet, like 80 to 90%. And yeah, what I wanted to end with was do you guys watch the Katmai uh, National Park, their cameras on for when it's uh, salmon season and all the bears are out uh, eating eating salmon in the river? They they have, like, cameras set up on on their... um, in the national park and just showcasing all the bears feeding for several weeks on end as the salmon are traveling upriver and there's like a whole voting thing online where you get a vote for the the best like fattest bear by the end of each season and it's amazing <laughs> Do they yes name them? Stephen and i we're watching That's it awesome. here this summer and it's it's glorious just bears being awesome and beautiful and having a hell of a time at this picnic feast of uh, salmon coming up river. That's awesome. We can drop a link to that in the in the description we can though. Definitely that do that. Dope. It's 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 a happy thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like salmon too, so I appreciate any animal who also it's enjoys interesting. salmon. It's interesting. They um the bears when they're there's so much salmon, there's just it's like t- the the rivers are teeming with salmon that they eat the choice parts of the salmon. So they actually when they catch them because okay. they catch so many that they eat the best parts of the salmon. Uh so it's like the head full of the the nutrients with the the brains and some other choice organs and then they let the rest of the fish uh slip away in the river and just uh the the rest of the dead fish just goes down river it's because the salmon after they spawn are gonna die anyway and float down the bottom of the river and so it's just you know uh you you marginalize on on the best amount of nutrients you can get in when you have so much food available to you like that it's it was kind of amazing to just see them like oh they just wasted a bunch of fish but oh oh no it's just there there's just so much in that situation that they have to fill up on just the best stuff possible which is fish heads apparently they can have that part i'll share <laughs> okay you want to finish us up jason with the rest of the summary Woo. i want to take you guys on a wild ride <laughs> back to the future um so uh they're in the future and it's not looking so good. <laughs> it's looking like a shithole. <laughs> they, the mall has become a taxon hive, which is gross because um, they're gross. 
And uh, so that's the future if the Yerks win. And Axe is sad because there's no more cinnamon buns. That's where the cinnamon buns were. I was definitely on his side for that. I was like, I'm glad they picked <laughs> out the most delicious thing they have in malls because Cinnabon, I think I said this before in the cast, but like, I fucks with some Cinnabon. It's like so good. He says, and chocolate too, which I feel like is like sees candy, you know? Yeah. He, I, I, I want a segment, and I don't think this ever happens, where he gets, he walks through the little line at the sees candy and they hand him the, the one sample and then he fucking goes ape shit. <laughs> like they never did that. That's such an obvious setup. Me and my brother used to get into that line over and over and over again. Like just they knew <laughs> what you were doing. Oh, they did. They knew. <laughs> but I wanted they... them yummy samples. I can't afford a oh whole box of a kid. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, that's like your. T- that's like three weeks of no, allowance. Seriously. Oh, man, I want some C's candy now. Stop. You're making me hungry. I do need to go to the mall. I need to go to the mall to go to Lush. So I'm going to go to Lush I have some C's candy, candy right behind me right now. And obviously, I can't <gasps> eat it on mic, but it's stashed in my secret little spot in the a bookcase because <laughs> that's where I hand my candy, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> so they're a little bit... Rachel and Jake, you know, are a little bit like, oh my gosh, we're, you know, we need to morph. We're going to be seen. And Marco's like, guys, think about it. If the Yerks won, we're just human controllers. There's no humans, regular humans left. And so they're like, okay, let's not freak out about it. And Axe morphs into human, which is great. And he is, he's like, uh, you know, they're not going to see, but we're, you know, because they're not going to see any um, Andalite controllers. So I've got to morph to be inconspicuous. And Marco's like, are you sure? Maybe the Yorks, lo- uh, the Andalites lose in the future to the Yorks. And Axe is like, never. But it's like, did the Elemist tell you that like <laughs> a day ago that the Andalites lost uh, to the Yorks? But anywho. Anywho, so they're hopping on this cool new, like, train. It's like a bullet train, but in in a clear tube, and it, like, goes on and on, and it goes, like, really, really fast. It's, like, I think something that used to take 30 minutes by bus is now, like, a minute and a half, so it's, like, pretty good. That's great. Uh, No traffic, no rush hour, and so... That is that is great. And they pass this yerk pool and it's all sludgy and gross and it's got taxons lounging, or lounging around it. And they're like, that seems so very sort of more chill than what they used to be the human ones. And they're like, well, yeah, because the taxons are, you know, invo- or no, sorry, they're voluntary hosts. So um, just sort of reminded about, oh, the taxons seem to be doing pretty good. They got a hive. They're chilling by some yerky pools. Um, yeah. So they're oh, doing they're Morgan, doing great. Is there any hork bajir that are voluntary hosts? Um, a little bit, a few. N- but... No, I didn't think there was really any. Okay. So the the side stories or the like the chronicles. So there's hork bajir chronicles that we'll read first. Andalite chronicles, Vizzer, which is about Vizzer one primarily, and Elemist chronicles. So we will learn more about hork bajir. Got it. Up. So they're making their way downtown. Faces something, something, <laughs> something. I just think of Terry Crews and White Chick. Okay, so they're downtown and they're noticing just entire skyscrapers are gone, um, which is strange. And except for the tallest building still seems to be there, the EGS Tower, 60 stories tall. So really fucking tall. Um, but the top two floors were sheared away and there's a dome glass. And at first I was like, oh, or maybe there are Andalite controllers that there's like this dome glass on top of there. But... It's not anything like that. So they also then passed where the city arena was. You remember that's where the circus was and a big department store and a building with an antenna. And then that's just gone. And instead there's a yerk pool, like a giant 
yurk full of shocking size. It was three times as wide as a football field as long, which is okay. Maybe four times as wide. And there were cages all around it. Um, so usually these yurk pools are underground. Now they're on the surface. These humans are crying and sobbing and some are staring blankly and some just hope that they were dead. And they're just, you know, it's a sad, sad, sad scene. So <laughs> this one human controller brushed past us and jostled Rachel and this is where I'm like, God damn it, Rachel. She's like, excuse me. <laughs> and she knew she made the mistake immediately. But the the woman um, human controller stopped and was like, what did you say, bitch? And the controller doesn't <laughs> say bitch, but like, I remember she's like, oh, this is for what? children. Excuse me. <laughs> what did you say? Rachel's like, nothing. And she's like, fuck. And it's, it really takes two seconds for this controller to be like, you're spies, spies, all of you. <laughs> and... Tobias is actually really quick thinking and he's like, well, this person is of concern to you because his name, uh, because he points to Axe and he's like, this person is Visor 3. And so, boom, boom, boom. Tobias is trying to bluff his way I mean, it's this. a good bluff. And she's like, it is. And so I think Axe catches on quickly and he starts demorphing into the Andalite and this uh, human controller is like, but Visor 3, only Visor 1 has an Andalite host body. Um, and they're like, oh, oh great. So he's jumped some ranks. So that's problematic. He's the number one visitor. So, but no, they, they pull off the the ruse, uh, the bluff. They definitely pull that off. The woman is scared. Other people are sort of paying attention. I like how Rachel is like, yeah, he's, he was, he's visitor one now, but he was visitor three back in the old days, back when we were all friends, comrades in arms. And it's like, yeah, I, that's great appeal to the past, Rachel. You are learning something from that history class of yours because it's like an appeal to the, um, like the, when times were good, you know? I When were these times good? So what happens to uh, Visor if it's, you know, deranked Morgan? Like, I was just curious, like in this scenario, then what would have happened to Visor 1's host body, a.k.a. Uh, Marco's mom. They would have probably. I mean, they have a lot of different punishments, so it depends. Either she could just get demoted and keep her host body. They she could get demoted and her host body would go to someone else, or they could do like their worst punishment is Condrona starvation. Like death by Condrona starvation is their like biggest punishment, and in which case the host would probably be killed because they would be in pretty bad shape afterwards. So it's like, well, mm, okay just kill him so that sucks yeah. <laughs> um but now that they've entered this bluff they don't have a lot of time before people start catching on about where visitor three is and then get backs to him and then you know and it just gets all you know how it usually gets with these books at the end <laughs> dying so they they start wondering you know why is a yurk pool here you know there's all kinds of open areas but you know why go through the trouble of removing all these buildings you know it's not like just a naturally wide open area and so, you know, I wonder why, everybody. But this bug fighter appears. So we know something's going to happen. And Rachel's drawn to it. And she doesn't really know why. And then as they're drawing closer, you know, crowds of controllers and harpager and taxons and some other odd species that they don't describe at all are, you know, crowding over there quickly. And they get there. The, the, the bug fighter doors open. So then what steps from the bug fighter is a human and an andalite. And very quickly, she's like, you cannot mistake him. This is Visor 3, not Visor 1. And then she stares at the human, too, because the human companion is a pretty young woman, about in her early 20s, some blonde hair, cut short, no makeup, plain clothes. 
And this woman speaks and she says, hello, Rachel. And Rachel replies, hello, Rachel. Dun, dun, dun. A lot of dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I today. know, I'm sorry. A scandal. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's Rachel's evil twin. Yes, Mio. But older. <laughs> so, you know, some real good time wackiness going on. Um, and the future Rachel's like, I knew you were coming. After all, I was you. Once I stood right where you stood now and looked just like you do now and saw myself as I am today. And I was like, oh, <laughs> man in the mirror. And uh, Visitor 3 is like, if only I'd known you were humans. Um, for so long, I thought you were Andalites until at last we caught you. You know, and Rachel's like, how... You're a controller, and older Rachel, your controller Rachel, is like, yes, with a cruel smile. We won. You all led us on a nice chase, but we won in the end, and um, which is great. <laughs> and they know that an Elemis brought them here, so they're privy to, obviously, future Rachel knows what this past Rachel knows, you know, whatever their timeline continuity is for the moment. And so, you know, they're aware of the time shenanigans. And so it gets like, you know what we decided, but here we are. So either you're waiting here to change, but we decided, except it might change all this, but it might not, or else you're being here because decided and whatever. And then Visitor 3 is like confusing, isn't it? I was like, almost a fourth wall break. Yes, this is confusing (laughs) if you think too hard about it. And he's like, I don't know how them elements keep it all straight. Yeah. I mean, you got to be some sort of wacky time lord for all this. (laughs) Maybe they don't keep it straight and they're just sort of going by the seat of their pants. Uh, What happens is Rachel, I think, turns, uh, I think Cassie starts turning away and she trips and falls against uh, younger Rachel. Older Rachel grabs younger Rachel by the arm to steady the fall. But then Axe was ready and basically has his tail blade against older Rachel's throat. And she looks really scared. Visitor 3 also was there frozen and, com- and a little bit confused. So Rachel's like, oh my gosh, this wasn't what was supposed to happen, was it? So now the script is different. And he's like, you said it was, you know, six humans before. That's what you expected to find. But you didn't know about X. So he's like, so she's like, the future has changed, hasn't it? And then she's also, you know, Visitor 3 trying to like sort of redirect is like, you know what we did when we caught your little blend of animorphs? What we did to your bird friend? We roasted his body and ate him with some yummy barbecue sauce. It was cool. Barbecue got a name drop. <laughs> yeah, that's why in the in the warning for this episode, I was like, um, is this cannibalism? If it's a human morphed into a hawk that you then eat? Tastes like chicken. <laughs> um, these are the questions they should be. <laughs> I would say the DNA is different at the moment. So I don't think it is cannibalism. At least not physically. <laughs> Maybe spiritually. Uh, Rachel's getting angry. She's getting definitely angry. She wants to morph. She wants to tear Visitor 3 a few hole, a few new holes, which is, you know, great. And um, she realizes too, because they're... Um, they don't want to hurt them because they can't change the future. They don't want to hurt any of the animorphs and change anything. So the future people can't hurt the yes. our our animorphs because they don't know how that's going to change the past. See, it gets however, wacky. our animorphs aren't under that restriction. No, so they're going to at least at least in this timeline they might be able to kill them and you know make things at least a little mm-hmm. bit better. So Rachel yeah. is like transforming and bolts into Visor Three sort of as like a part I think part bear like with her bear fists. And she's like about to swing and claw and really fuck his shit up. And bam, she hits a tree. Guess what happens? She's back in the present. This motherfucking Elemis with this motherfucking time change doing this motherfucking bullshit. Um, well, definitely pisses Rachel off. She's like, I had him. I had him. I was going to kill him. 
And so they're back <laughs> and they're now left with that. This is what's going to happen in the future. And they actually take a revote now and they all, and they basically now vote yes, that they, you know, they, they want to be transported to a human zoo because the future was bleak as fuck. And they shouted out, you know, trying to speak to the Alamist and nothing happens. So he said he'd do it immediately, but I guess he was lying. So next day, school day, history class, uh, talking about second world war. You know, their teacher, Miss Paloma, which is an alcoholic drink. <laughs> um, maybe if the United States had been ready to fight earlier, she said, the war would have ended earlier and a fewer people would have been killed. But our country wanted peace. We were so huh. devoted to peace, we may have actually made the war worse. And it's like, yeah, America just didn't want to be bothered to be involved. They're like, this ain't our shit. Yeah, well, there was a whole faction of Americans who were saying, ah, America first, sound familiar. <laughs> who were like, let's see how this Nazi thing plays out. Maybe they'll be our friends. And it's like... Yeah, no, we, there were Nazi supporters in the U.S. There were people in the U.S. Army who were anti-Semitic. They were just like, well, not this, they were not that anti-Semitic. So I don't like how it's like, and we were the good guys, and we eventually jumped in and saved the world from the Nazis. And it's like, no, we were attacked, and that's why we got into it. But the other narrative sounds a lot more American. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Well, America's, mm -hmm. you know, propaganda. Well, Americans um, writing the history books. Yeah. Right. So, so Cassie questions this. She's like, well, you know, are you sure about this? And the teacher's like, you can't second guess history. And uh, the teacher's like, you know, she goes, the teacher goes into the whole butterfly, flaps its wings in China, wind blows, hurricane, tornado in the U.S. sort of a thing. So classic, you know, butterfly effect analogy. So they're left with that to think on. Very heavy, very philosophical. And Cassie's like, I feel like something's wrong. I feel like something's not exactly right. And she's like, and she's talking to Rachel about this. And, you know, it's like maybe the answer, the yes wasn't the answer he wanted to hear. The, the elemist being he. Maybe that's why nothing's happened. Maybe we didn't get to the right answer. You know, maybe he was trying to show us something else. And so he shows us the future. Like he shows us the future. He shows us basically, you know, you know, if we, you know, if we, so we know for sure what would happen if we decided to stay and fight and we know we lost. And that means that we have to say yes. So what's what's the you know where's the where's the the logic not connecting here and rachel thinks about it again it's like so if the butterfly wing you know can change the future drastically how does the butterfly know when to flap its wing and so again you know that's her big philosophical question besides her parents for this book and so next you know thing rachel's dreaming they're all having again their usual fucked up dreams but rachel's is more about the Yerks and the Yerk Pool and the Condrona. And she was thinking about with Axet that the light is the Condrona, the center of their lives, almost a religion. And then she wakes up and she's like, ha ha, ha ha, you found me. Um, yes, she figured it out. And I think we've all figured it out as readers too, that the Condrona is by where the Yerk Pool was in the future, which is downtown. You know, again, with that store, and so it's got to be near there. And she knows exactly where it is because they were, you know, they had seen a lot of the future. And so she goes, she gets up, she flies, she morphs into her bird, morphs, she flies, and she thought speaks to Tobias and is like, Tobias, wake up, but don't panic. <laughs> she she fucks with Tobias again and wakes him up. Um, and he's like, what the hell is, whatever, Rachel, grumpy, you know, what's going on? And he's like, I know where the location of the Condrona is. So they gather everybody in the Cassie's bar. And so this is a whole 3.30 in the morning, 3.47 in the morning 
meeting. Uh, they're all tired. Marco's being, you know, sarcastic -y and, you know, snippy. Um, and she's like, well, yes, Marco, I'll tell you where. I know where the Conjona is. I know where it is, bitch. So now everybody's thinking. She's like, well, Elma showed us, you know, what we thought was unfair. You know, when we appeared in the York Bowl, decided we were going to be eaten, right? You know, fixed it. They got out. And then he shows in the future. And he, he's like, what if he keeps, when he does this time freezing and time traveling, what if he's actually really giving us a chance to see something, to see a way to change what's going to happen? And she's like, with the drop shaft, you know, he he let us see this. Like he waited, they were in a side room and they, and the time froze and the Elemis waited until they went into the main area where they could see the drop shaft to talk to them. Mm -hmm. And he didn't have to do that. So they're like, he definitely showed us where the drop shaft was on purpose. Yeah. So then they're like, well, he definitely showed us something in the future. And Rachel's like, he definitely showed us where the Condrona is. He's And she's like, you know, that you're pulled downtown. That's the key. Again, like I said, why build it downtown? Why level these buildings? Why leave the tallest building intact, you know, for something so important? And they're like, the EGS tower. The Condrona is on top of the EGS tower. And so that she's like, that's what he wanted to show us. That's how we're going to, you know, that's the choice he wants us to make is to see this and take down the Condrona Tower. And they mentioned a couple times, too, how it's like the Elemist isn't allowed to interfere directly. All he wants to do is save a small number of us, but actually he wants to save Earth because it's the work of art that he mentioned earlier. And he's like bending his own rules so he can say, hey, I didn't interfere, but at the same time putting it where they can figure it out. Exactly. Says. Giant time wizard hard on for Earth. <laughs> so it's five in the morning, our favorite time in the morning, and the EGS Tower's windows are almost all dark, and there's a sleepy uniformed guard inside the lobby. So they're like, well, how do we deal with him without hurting him? And, you know, they sort of talk about this. And, you know, there's also a drunk guy coming near them. And Cassie transforms into a wolf and scares him away just really quick. But what happens is Marco transforms into a gorilla, taps on the glass, gets the guard's attention, thought speaks to him. And then the guard is like, Andalite! <laughs> and so then Marco's like, awesome, punches him through the glass and knocks the guy out. Um, so kind of cool, actually. Make a great scene. Um, in like a movie. So they go into the elevator. They had to take two turns in the elevator just because of the size of them all and the weight and whatnot. So the first group up is Jake and Rachel and I believe, um, I believe Marco. Marco. That's right. The, <laughs> the gorilla. And, um, they're talking about just, you know, they're like, okay, what do we do? Well, we go up 60 floors and they're like, I want to go see that new Keanu Reeves, Keanu Reeves movie. I was like, you mean the matrix four? <laughs> like the one that's He's coming supposed out. to be cute, right? Duh. Yeah. I said, <laughs> Duh, he's so cute. Honestly, Keanu Reeves. I liked him when he was younger, he a little older. It's like, oh, okay. He can make some different hair, some different facial hair choices too, but you know, and it doesn't say who says he's supposed to be cute, right? But I assume, it, I mean, it was supposed to be Jake probably, but I want to say that it was Marco because he's, uh, he, in the his book, he was like, I wouldn't know if Axe was cute, cute because I'm a dude. He's like full in denial. Yeah, I'm liking where his Mar gayness. Going with this. Marco is an alien furry. I'm going to go with queer. Marco's bisexual. Yeah, at least. And he's into aliens. Um, or, yeah. you know, humans that look like his friends mushed together. So he's just in full-on denial, leaning into his, like, straight side to be like... I don't know. I like women. Shifty eyes. 
<laughs> that that puppet, shifty eye puppet. Yep, <laughs> exactly. Um, so uh, the elevator stops, the door opens, and there's two hork bajir already racing towards the elevator. And so they go into full-on attack mode, and they just charge at each other. And so Rachel's fucking shit up as a bear pretty well. Uh, they dispatch the two hork bajir, uh, hork bajir. Um, and they're like, well, you know there's going to be more if they're guarding the Kondrona. And so, you know, they're looking around and they're trying to like figure out where it could be. And Rachel's like, I have my sense of smell. And they challenge me. And she's going to, she's like, she's getting full on carried away with the bear. And they find this door and they open the door and there's eight hork bajir. And there's a giant clash. So eight hork bajir versus five animorphs. And uh, Rachel just charges forward. She's caught up with the bear, you know, juice. And she doesn't even like, she's kind of blind. She doesn't really see how many there are. She's just, you know, apparently bear vision's not that great. She says, I thought they were humans, <laughs> but they were hork And so she charges forward a little bit like, well, oh, fuck. Okay. So <laughs> she goes, barrels into them, and there's just a giant, bloody, blurry fight. And they're slashing and cutting. So the animals actually kind of get fucked up. Like, they are getting slashed. Marco gets, like, slashed across the stomach. He's holding that. You know, Axe is doing his good thing. Um, so body parts are being lost. Everybody's, you know, sort of, like trying really actually not to die usually they run away from the hork or you know only take on you know one or two yeah so they're getting cut to pieces but they're also sort of cutting the hork one hork gets pushed through the glass and falls down 60 stories which i hope a non-controller you know sees that <laughs> collects it does <laughs> or doesn't because then they're just gonna be a controller i don't know i just i just want something they need to start like a an online podcast conspiracy <laughs> But yeah, Marco's hurt bad. Rachel, actually, when she does push the Horpusier as a thing and, you know, this fight comes down, she noticed, she's like, I don't need to demorph, I'm fine. But then she looks and like one of her arms is missing. <laughs> so she's like, okay, I'm demorphing. <laughs> like, fuck. So they were, you know, almost cut to pieces. So that's sort of where they almost die again, like every other book at the end. But like, it was a little bit less like, like, dead. It's like, well, we did it. <laughs> yeah. And we can also demorph and the Horpusier can't. So yeah, that's a victory. It was not as severe as before. And then they find the Kondrona and it's this big machine-sized thing, a small car. It's humming. It's putting off heat. Uh, Rachel transforms and morphs into the, the elephant to push it off its thing and push it down out of the window so it falls 60 floors. And I'm like, is it something that strong where it could re- you know, resist that? But it seems like it pretty much completely uh, I don't think it's going it, to bounce know, up hits. like a bouncy ball. So I don't know, but maybe it's like an iPhone, you know, good case (laughs) (laughs) who put the otter case on this (laughs) condrona yeah but i just love how this condrona has just been blasting the town through like concrete asphalt dirt to power like a giant york pool i'm like oh so many of these humans have to have cancer like they're like (laughs) this whole city is gonna have cancer but they destroy the Kondrona, which is great. And it's great because they're like, this is successful. It's going to push them. It's going to, you know, at least delay the Yerks by a few weeks. They're going to lose a lot of numbers because they now they have to re- to replenish. They have to put, the, they have to bring the controllers to the mothership to, um, you know, re- replenish themselves um, from the mothership Kondrona Ray supplier. This is what's thought to be enough to turn the tide of the future with, you know, severely damaging them for about three weeks two or three weeks which is great and um they did it they fly off as birds which is awesome and the elements is like you know they make a they make a thing have we changed the future the elements is like everything changes the future and it's like oh stop watching me (laughs) (laughs) he just like a a dis disembodied voice in the distance stop watching me (laughs) um 
But they're like, okay, the LMS is like our replacement Condrona. will be here in three of your weeks. It's already on it. So it's, it was already on its way anyway. And it's like, okay, well, nice. A little bit of hollow victory, but you know, it works out. They're still gonna, it's still a great win for the, um, for the Animorphs. And the, the LMS seems to have a little bit of a sense of humor and sort of a, I'm, you, you're humans and your attempt at complex thought amuses me. So they're going away feeling content, feeling happy that they've changed the future. And Rachel, um, you know, goes, sees her dad is packing, you know, to move, leave uh, for his new job. They have a, a sweet little heart to heart moment. And then um, he's like, are you sure you don't want to come? And he's like, I can't leave my friends. You know, we have to save the world. And he's like, if anyone can do it, honey, it would be you. And you're like, okay, and then sort of sweet. And, you know, they cries and they have a moment. Yeah. And then um, her dad gets out, goes off in a taxi. And then Tobias is like, you coming, Rachel? And then um, she's like, yeah, I'm coming. And that's, that's the end. End, end yeah. of book seven. The Elemist. Yeah. Is the here. Elemist is a game changer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I hope he's a recurring um, character. Yeah, we definitely see him throughout. Well, kind of throughout. So he's. We definitely see him. As you put it, he's our Gandalf the White that keeps coming back in. Say, oh no no no, go 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 down this path instead. What about what about Saruman the Rainbow? (laughs) Uh, no spoilers. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God, there's somebody else. (laughs) Yeah, no spoilers, but yeah, it's um, yeah, it's cool and interesting how everything connects and i always joke about how uh, unlike harry potter animorphs has no plot holes because if there's a plot hole the elemis did it don't worry <laughs> about it <laughs> let's just add a super powerful oh game. my gosh <laughs> there's a tv tr- there's a trope on tv tropes that's like a wizard did it and it's like no the elemis did it the elemis did it don't worry about <laughs> it as long as this series has a, a way it cannot be like lost morgan where like they totally cop out at the end oh, Lord. of that series you're just saying that because there's bears uh, there's bears I'm going now to be up, <laughs> uh, ending some tables if there is any sort of lost uh ending type of shenanigans with this series i want answers and i God, want no. them to be thorough yeah, do you guys have any predictions of what's going to happen next with the Elemist guy or what his deal's going to be? I it sounds like there's more than one mm-hmm. of them unless I feel like he, the Elemist might try to interfere again and get in trouble. Mm. Yeah. I'm not sure where he's going to he might take them to the past, you know, maybe to give them information instead of the future. That's true. But I'm, I'm I don't really have much about him. I sort of feel like he's just going to be like a randomly interjected character. <laughs> The ghosts of Christmas past type situation. Yeah, keep getting mm-hmm. held back by uh, whatever like community or forum that's imposing elemist rules uh, on each other uh, as he's trying to sneakily sway uh, them uh, to hopefully win. Hopefully that's his outcome. It seems like it. Gosh, yeah, just so much happened in this book, which is great. It made it a heck of a lot more uh, like much more layers to the story. And I also kind of want to know why, how did Andalites know of Elemists in the first place? I mean, yeah, well, I guess what was their first interaction with yeah. them? I mean, they are a super advanced species, but like, it doesn't seem like the Elemists really make themselves known, you know, just for funsies, you know? Yeah, they said that they just let them, let he let himself be known to, or ask the question of the Animorphs because they're the only ones who know what's like going on. So definitely a rarity. Mm-hmm. 
for sure. What's the next book, Morgan? Well, yeah, the next book is going to be Megamorphs number one, Elfangor's Gift. It's our first non-numbered book. So there's four Megamorphs, though. Well, I guess it's numbered in that it's a numbered Megamorphs. There's four of those Megamorphs books. We're reading the first one. And it's summer break. Okay. Um, So that's a good one. And so we're going to read that next week. Any disclaimers? And we'll see how it goes. I'm trying to think not really. It's kind of a romp. It's a very fun romp. It has one of my very favorite quotes in all of the series. Is it one that you tattooed on yourself? (laughs) No, it is not. (laughs) But I am definitely going to cross stitch it on like um, a pillow or something. So, yeah. All right. We'll see you guys next week. You can find me on Twitter at Morgan underscore Slay. Uh, Jason, where can people find you? People can find me on Twitter at Bottomus underscore Prime. And you can find me at, well, like, to be honest, I'm not on social media. So you could just like pass maybe like a note in your class and just just keep it going until eventually maybe it'll it'll reach me. Uh, But if that doesn't quite work for you, you can email us at middlemorph at gmail.com. Yeah, share with your friends, especially if they've never read Animorphs, you know, get some people into it. Especially if they read Goosebumps. Get them off the Goosebumps train on the Animorphs train. Yeah, I recommend uh, Animorphs over Goosebumps. Like, man, there were some Goosebumps books that, like, mm, mm, too many puppet books. Or someone who's devastated by our loss of J.K. Rowling and needs a really good, supportive female author with two initials and a last name <laughs> um, who supports her trans daughter. So Yes, we stand. Oh, my goodness. Yes. J.K. Rowling sucks. K. Applegate's great. All right, bye. (laughs) Bye.